for weeks now, I've been talking about different themes and ideas and thoughts leading up to what everyone will be doing on Thursday. No, I've not been talking about consuming way too much food, um, although that's what we'll all be doing on Thursday. I've not been talking specifically about different cuisines. Everyone's will be different. But our national holiday of Thanksgiving. Two weeks ago, I talked about specific things and specific situations or examples where Jesus himself said thank you. And we looked at three different examples. And then last week, I talked about the well-known story of the ten lepers who had been healed by Jesus as they obeyed his command to go show themselves to the priest. And they were healed, yet only one of them came back to say thank you and worship. And we talked about the implications for that in our lives. So today I'm going to turn to a very familiar passage, one we often draw encouragement from, one we often get inspiration from as we think about its implications in our lives, and one that many people find hope in. However, I want to point out something about this passage and these three verses that goes to the foundation of who we are as Christians, and that's my topic this morning, our faith's strong foundation. Because these three verses in First, in, in, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, they're written, as far as in the original language, in what's called an imperative voice, which means they're commands, not suggestions. They're not just good ideas or friendly advice. These are the foundation blocks of who we are as Christians. This is what is the outgrowth of a Christian faith. And my main point that I want to emphasize in these three commands as we go through them is that they are the foundation of our faith. And when you think about the foundation of a building, regardless of what happens to the roof or the windows or any other part of the building, the foundation is always there. No matter what we go through, no matter what storm comes, the foundation is always there. And these three things have a continual process to them. They are always there. They're something we can always experience, no matter what. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm sure many could recite it from memory. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In, every give, in, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I feel like reading them again. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In, every give, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, These are not just words that look good on a coffee mug. They are not just words that make a wonderful banner. These are commands. And I submit that these are things that we need to do. They represent not just actions or words. They are attitudes. Attitudes that must come from deep within. 
and then they will come rushing out like a flood. Even on your worst days. Anyone ever have a bad day? I don't Nobody here does. Even when, and I'm emphasizing the word when, life makes no sense. Even when the pain that you're experiencing, not only is it severe, but it's been around for what would easily be considered way too long. In all of these times, we can lean on a foundation that is built on the inner ability that makes these three commands simple. This is what the Lord wants to grow in each of us. This is the peace he wants to offer you and me in every situation we face. This is the calm he wants us to be able to experience in any storm. It begins with rejoice always. Now, Paul told the church at Galatia, I'm sure a verse most of us know about walking in the fruit of the spirit. And the first one is love. But the second one is joy. This joy, and I want to make a distinction between joy and happiness. Because they're two different things. What we're talking about here in rejoicing always is being able to walk in, being able to experience joy at any moment and of, of any day. In fact, in every moment of every day. There are often times I am not happy, but I always have the joy of the Lord. This world gets very confused when it comes to happiness and joy. For the most part, everyone's pursuit in this life, in our culture, is to be happy. It's even written into our Constitution. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so we look to make sure that no matter what the circumstances are, that we are happy. I'll stay on this job as long as I'm happy. I'll stay in this marriage as long as I am happy. I'll stay in a particular church as long as I am happy. I submit those are things that are external. God gives us joy that's deep inside. The expectation going with that model is that my happiness is everybody else's responsibility. That's immature. Happiness, for the most part, is a reaction. When I look up the scores for basketball and my beloved New York Knicks have won a game, I'm happy. It's a miracle, yeah, okay. During baseball season, when my beloved New York Mets win a game, I'm ecstatic. That's happiness. But every day I wake up, Jesus is Lord. Every day I wake up, he is still on the throne. Every day I wake up, he is in control. That brings joy. Happiness is a reaction. Things or situations or circumstances or people can be a catalyst to bring or cause or influence you and I to be happy. But if these things can influence us to be happy, guess what? They can also influence us, influence us the other way. 
Happiness tends to be connected to the outside of you. But joy, joy is about something that rests within you. The day Jesus became Lord of your life, the source of all joy became available to you like a rushing mighty wind each and every day. Joy is something deeper. That's why we're not told that the happiness of the Lord is my strength, but the joy of the Lord from Nehemiah 8.10 is my strength. And we experience this joy as we daily surrender to his will and not my own. He gives us a supernatural joy. He gives us a peace that the Hebrew language expands on with one word, and that's shalom. A peace that's not just quiet. I think I've shared this example before. My dad was a hardworking man as, as we were growing up. He was a machinist. He worked long hours. It was very physical labor. And when he came home, he was tired. And he came home to a house with three boys who had not worked as a machinist, who were not really tired when he got home. And we were noisy. And we would make a lot of noise because we were three boys. And if I had a dime, for every time he would say, all I want when I get home is some peace and quiet. I learned as I began to grow and became an adult and understood those terms and their deeper meaning that my dad was lying to me. Because he really could not care less if there was peace between me and my brothers. What he wanted was quiet. He really didn't, wasn't interested in my brothers and I getting along at the moment in which he entered the door. What he wanted was quiet, and we get confused with the two. Because how many of us have been in situations that were quiet, but no peace? You can feel the not peace in the quiet. Jesus brings peace deep within our souls. Because there are times we can sit someplace and be quiet, but there is no peace within Jesus brings a peace that feeds the joy that becomes our strength. A strength that isn't reduced by the afflictions we go through. A strength that isn't upended by any pain we experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, begin reading in verse number 16. Therefore do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us as far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The two phrases I want to pull out of there. Even though our outward man is perishing. Ever feel that way? We're not going to live in these bodies forever. Well, thank you, Jesus, for that. And affliction is but for a moment. Yet when it comes, it can feel like that's all that there is. That's all that we're experiencing. That's all that 
is in the entire universe, but it's for a moment. That's when the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. These are things we see. These are things we feel. These are things we experience, and they are real. They are a reality. But we also know that beyond what we feel, beyond what we see, there is something that we may not be able to see, but we know is real because it's a joy that springs up and gives us strength that other people aren't going to understand. How can you be so joyful in that situation? Well, because I have Jesus in my heart. How can you experience peace when there's nothing but turmoil around you? Well, because I have the joy of the Lord deep inside me. How can you continue to be so giving and loving and outgoing and caring for people when you've experienced so much abandonment and so much hurt in your life? Because Jesus has never hurt me. Jesus has never abandoned me, and he stays with me and gives me a strength that in my humanness I never could possess. But there is something beyond what we see. There is a joy that we can know in the midst of sorrow, and that joy is our strength. And that joy, unlike happiness, which I said is a reaction, is a choice. I choose to walk in the joy of the Lord. But pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. But I know who sits on the throne. But pastor, you don't know the devil I'm married to. And please don't look at anybody right now. Don't look at anybody right now. And I'm not going to look at anybody right now. So it doesn't matter what devil you're married to. You gave your heart to a living Savior. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So how do we start moving toward this joy? How do we proceed from what is the the natural humanness we see all around us? How do we go from this place that we can rejoice always? Paul mentions it in the very next verse. Pray without ceasing. The second part of this Christian foundation, and it's also a command that will be our strength, is that we are in always a place of this connection and communication with our Lord. This simply talks about our prayer life. Now, I'm convinced this verse is so often misunderstood that when people here pray without ceasing, they, ex- they are thinking, like they did in the Middle Ages, that all you need to do is 24 hours a day, or at least the hours that you're not sleeping, is to be on your knees, lock, your way, lock yourself away in some monastery, and always be in an attitude of prayer. That is not what this verse means. First of all, if you spent 18 hours a day on your knees, you would, after a while, have no knees. Some believe that this verse speaks of a constant, uninterrupted practice of formal verbal prayer. Now, prayer may and often will involve words, but this is something that goes more to the heart. This is not about making prayer part of your Christian life. It's realizing that prayer is my Christian life. It is everything that I am. Everything that I do, every breath that I take needs to be a prayer 
to the Lord. I believe this is about constantly being aware that you and I are not alone. Practicing an awareness of his presence. Increasing that awareness day by day. Realizing that he really does, as the songs say, walk with me and talk with me each and every moment of each and every day. Increasing my sensitivity to his voice and to his touch and to his truth. Fixing my mind on godly things. Not the nonsense most of us can pick up on the evening news. But looking to Jesus as my reality. Not on the issues of this world. I'm not saying we don't pay attention. I'm not saying we don't keep a mindful watch on what's going around us. We would be difficult to be relevant then. But this is also about dying to self. The way I think things should go. The way I think people should be. And being less self-centered. Embracing that the world should not revolve around me. You do realize that you are not the center of the universe. Do I have to prove that to anybody? (laughs) You are not the center of the known universe. And as I've said many times, since you are not the center of the universe, you shouldn't be the center of any universe, even your own. We need to give to him and realize my life is his. Like the last song we sang, we come to his altar. And in all of this, I freely admit, I'm still working on it myself. We're all in a progress or a process here. Because this, because in this increased awareness, church, there is a joy that the world can't give and the world can't take it away. I have a joy that the world doesn't understand and they're going to stay confused until they come to know Jesus. Through times of prayer, both times alone and times with others, and both are vitally necessary. We grow to be more aware and more in tune and more sensitive to his heart and to his presence. And for me, the more we sense and are aware of his presence, his never-ending presence, do we realize he's always with you? That when you cut that person off on the way to church today, he was with you. (laughs) That when that person in the market bumped you and you held your tongue, which was great, but what was going through your mind was not so great, he was with you. Every step of the way, an increased awareness of his presence. That's praying without ceasing. And when we're able to do that, we can get to the third command. In everything, give thanks. I've heard, and I understand people who are saying it, some people find this extremely cruel because they're going through a situation that's extremely traumatic and difficult. Now, the previous two commands dealt with time. Rejoice always and pray continually. This one is dealing with circumstances that we all go through. All of us. No one's exempt. This next command requires something more than awareness and sensitivity. 
this next command, in everything give thanks, requires trust. That you and I trust him. And since we trust him in everything, we can give thanks. Now let's be clear what this verse does not say. It does not say that, or nor does it infer, that in every situation, the situation is a reason to be thankful. When we experience difficult times, when we experience loss, those situations are not ones that generate or inspire gratitude. This is not about denying your pain or denying that we go through hurtful times. This is about realizing that in every season of life, in every stage of our growth, in every challenge we experience, that Jesus is always going to be on the throne. Jesus remains in control even when my life seems to be out of control. And that no matter what I go through, I can rest on the truth that Jesus still loves me and takes care of me. And I trust him. And since I trust him, I can give him thanks. Jesus is always near. Being able to give him thanks always starts with realizing that even on your worst days, Jesus has not left the throne. We have normal sequences within our government that when new leaders are elected, one leader leaves a seat of power and another one steps in. You and I can rest comfortably. Jesus will always be in the seat of power. He will always be on the throne. He will always be in control. And that is something that gives us a reason to be thankful. But what about the situations we go through that are difficult? Well, you know the verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. It may not be the most important part to many, but to me, when I look at that verse, what jumps out to me, what just jumps out is that we know. It says not just that all things work together for good to those who love God, but it begins with we know. So my question is, do we really? Do we really know this? Is our trust in his heart dependent upon us seeing his hand? Do we really believe that this world is not my home? Do we really embrace the truth that he has everything under control and he will work things out and it will be for my benefit? Abraham had to trust God while taking his son, the son of promise, up that mountain and holding a knife to sacrifice him. Joseph had to trust God when his brothers sold him into slavery and he became a very different person. And then even as he began to see the hand of God moving to make him in a better position, had to trust God again by being put in jail after the lies from Potiphar's wife. These situations don't make us happy. But they are reasons to be thankful because we know God works all things together for my good. Strength is displayed, comes from a joy that only comes from knowing Jesus. Now, these last two years have been difficult for so many. 
not just from the standpoint of financial difficulty or family loss, but they've been difficult for a lot of people in our culture and in our society as just an attack on social norms, an attack on basic things that people put strength in. So people have a lot of anxiety. But we can take that anxiety and overcome it with joy. The joy Jesus gives really is a different way of thinking, a different way of looking at life. And it's a way the world doesn't understand. Sadly, many in the church don't understand it either. I found this story and it just touched me. The famous Bible scholar, Matthew Henry, wrote these words in his diary after he was robbed of all the money he had in the world. He wrote, first, let me be thankful because I was never robbed before this. This was the first time. That's a wonderful attitude to have. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, though they took all I had, he realized, you know what? I didn't have much. So all they took was all I had. And the fourth thing he thanked God for in his diary, because it was I who was robbed, not I who did the robbing. That's a thankful heart. That's a heart that can spring forth in any situation and realize, you know, really, I need to turn my thinking around. And ultimately, why should we do this? Why should we go in this direction? Why should we bother with this rejoice always? Why should I be in a constant awareness and pray without ceasing? Why should I give thanks in every situation? For one reason alone, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This I have shared before. So many times in different churches, I'll be at an altar helping to pray for people. And people will come up, young people, but people of all ages, and say, I want the will of God for my life. What they're saying is they want God to speak to them about the direction he wants them to go. But I listen. And when someone says to me, I want the will of God for my life, I want God to speak to me audibly or in some way to make it clear what my direction in life is supposed to be, I have to wonder. Why would God speak to you about the will of God in your life as far as the direction when many don't follow his will that's already written down? Because we need to be a thankful people. Why? Because it's God's will for you. It's his purpose for you. It's part of why we, he brought us into his family. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. For you, we are called, you and I, to a life of joy, a life of prayer, and a life of thankfulness. And once again, these are not just good advice. This is not just going to benefit you psychologically or medically, although it will. Because being grumpy, being isolated, and always having a bad attitude will get you nowhere. But being joyful, I, I, I have to remember, I'll always remember when I was younger, in my teenage years, and I first started attending a, a, a Pentecostal church, and I would hear so many of the older saints talk about the joy of the Lord. And just the phrase, 
and just grip my mind. Yeah, the story of the Lord. But it was the way they said it that just confused me. Yes, I want the joy of the Lord. Can't you smile when you say that? Is this joy of the Lord a source of joy for you? Thank God I have Jesus in my heart. Really? Now, I know we all go through things. We all do. This is not a command to always be smiling. This is not a command, as I made from the very beginning of the message, to always be happy. But the command is to always walk in his joy. Walk in what he brought us to. Not just good advice. This is God's will for every Christian to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. Not only is this our strength, it's our foundation. It is the building blocks of our home as Christians, which means it's always there, no matter what. Stand with me, please. I'm going to ask the worship.